It's 818. You are tuned into WORT 89.9 FM. Joining me on the line, I've got two people who are founding members, I think, or uh, of the Madison Rafa Sister City Project. Jennifer Lowenstein, good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. And Barb Olson, good morning. Morning, Tony, and good morning, Jennifer. That's good. You guys probably haven't Hello. talked. To, you probably haven't talked to each other in a while, have you guys? <laughs> no. Well, uh, where to start here? First of all, um, I I appreciate hmm. both of you guys being on. I know there's a, a lot of work that y'all both have been doing, and of course, I could have you on every week if we wanted because um, the situation in the Gaza Strip is is a dire situation. It's something that I think needs attention on a daily basis. Um, and uh, so, but one of the things that I mentioned at the top of the show is that a lot of people in Madison don't know that Madison has had a long-standing relationship with the city of Rafa in southern Gaza, right there on the border with Egypt, where at this moment over uh, a million and close to a million and a half people are, what shall I say, hunkered down. They've been uh, uh, chased down, forced uh, south from um from the north of the Gaza Strip, as a uh, this is the last place for them to go. Many of them are living in uh, tent cities. Uh, many of them are crowded in the apartments. But the government of Israel and uh, Bibi Netanyahu has decided that, well, now it's time to uh, take out the city of Rafa. Can can uh, I guess I'll ask you, uh, uh, Barb, um, what about the history of the Madison? Uh, sister city relationship with Rafa. Can we can we talk about the history of that? Well, it's 21 years, so I'm not sure how much you want to talk <laughs> about, but I'll try and make it short, and Jennifer can chime in. Um, it was started, Jennifer was the sort of the um, spearhead of doing this back in 2003, and at the time we had this kind of somewhat naive idea that um, if cities like, if if places like El Salvador and so on could have these sister cities that were organized to to help people to be solidarity sister cities uh, and not just sort of strictly cultural, you know, very not involved in solidarity sister cities, that why couldn't we do that with Palestine? And, and we picked Rafa um, because Jennifer had been there. And then when we went to the council later, we were we discovered that we were not going to be allowed to be an official sister city because we were called anti-Semitic and terrorist supporters and all this kind of stuff. Um, so we continued on as an official group, and over the years we have altered somewhat our uh, focus because we also decided fairly early on to to become also focusing on Palestine in general as well as Rafa in particular. So we have a long history of um, aid projects, of material support projects, of education, of uh, working on public policy with public officials, et cetera, so that at the present time, most of our work in Rafa has evolved where we have tried to focus our humanitarian work there and some of our, our marketing products. So we market crafts from mostly embroidery out of, out of Gaza, um, and we've uh, so we, our relationships have become more through other groups, particularly at the present time, the Middle East Children's Alliance, which has a lot of um, people on the ground, and so many of our projects, particularly five water filter projects in 
United Nations schools primarily and kindergartens in uh, in Rafa. So that's in a very short nutshell our situation presently. We've tried to do a lot of education about the situation in Gaza as well as Palestine overall. So, mm-hmm. um, and we're not sure right now what what the status is of of the, a lot of those projects. We do know that the Atfalana School for the Deaf was completely blown up and destroyed. Um, that's in Gaza City, but they serve people in Rafa as well. So wow. maybe for once to Jennifer, Jennifer, can you talk to this whole issue now? Uh, Madison has developed uh, the Sister City Project, like you said, with uh, places in El Salvador, throughout the country, places in Germany. What about those claims way back in 21? And who are the ones that made these claims of anti-Semitism, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> Semitism um, at the time? Was this the city council members that, that said that? And have has uh, Madison Rafa gone back to try to get official Sister City status for Rafa? Since that time, Jennifer? Um, I don't know if they've gone back. It's been a while since I lived in Madison now. Mm-hmm. But um, it was primarily the Madison Jewish Community Center at the time, which became, I believe, part of the Jewish Federation, that accused us of being not only anti-Semitic, they accused us of being political, which I thought was, I always thought it was hilarious, because, you know, the idea that <clears throat> somehow... Nicaragua, El Salvador, uh, Vietnam, East Timor, somehow, and Cuba. These were not political. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to believe these were not political. But we were political. And I remember the executive director of the Medicine Jewish Community Center back then um, basically saying that if the Madison Rafa Sister City uh, project were to pass the city council, it would be an international embarrassment because because that would make Madison pairing with a, a city in Palestine and, uh, in fact, in Gaza, which they saw um, as this, you know, hotbed of terror, apparently. So it was, it was you know, it was as excruciatingly, um, uh, I, almost embarrassing to hear their side mm-hmm. talk about us because we were, any, you know, we were no more or less political than all the other city sister cities. And uh, we did similar things in terms of selling crafts and mm-hmm. getting to know uh, institutions on the ground in Rafa and uh, trying to get some projects up and running. But as anyone listening to this program knows, you can't do anything that is uh, considered pro-Palestinian uh, without being called anti-Semitic. And, uh, you know, I actually think that that charge is getting really old, and there are people finally starting to stand up to it, which is, you know, encouraging, especially as this current war rages on. Um, but, yeah, I think we're a little closer. We, we inch closer and closer each year to, be, to being a legitimate group, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not some, somehow some outlying anti-Semitic, <clears throat> anti-social groups, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so in that sense, it's, it's a better situation. I think the the um, American public is gradually becoming more uh, aware of Palestine and of some of the charges that are so bogus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are standing up to it. And I consider that a, a good thing, even though we're in the middle of this 
horrific um, so-called war. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, um, could have any of you been uh, able to reach people? I know, uh, Jennifer, we've uh, you've been on before, um, and uh, you did have connections and, and folks that you uh, were able to actually uh, speak with uh, since October 7th in the Gaza Strip. Um, have, have any of you been able to get any live uh, reports from um, colleagues in in Rafa or in the Gaza Strip? I'll start with you, Jennifer Lowenstein. Well, yes, because I worked in Gaza. I lived and worked in Gaza in 2002. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I would go back almost every year. So I'm still in touch with many people in Gaza, all of them now, or most of them now, in Rafa, um, because of the displacement of 1.4 million people. And, um, I yes, I get live reports almost every day, days when the communication systems in Gaza aren't completely cut off. I write to a woman... Um, who has been a friend of mine for a long time. She sends me basically a daily diary of her thoughts and things that are happening there. And um, with a handful of other people as well, I stay in touch. I contact them, you know, every other week or so, and I write. So, you know, I am I am very much um, in, in, in touch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the reasons I feel so that, that, that this situation is so terribly urgent. I mean, I think many people feel that, but I know that for me, being <clears throat> being in touch with people daily really has brought this whole thing home to me. I mean, I get daily accounts of uh, how miserable it is. Um, okay. Um, so what? Uh, how would you describe the current situation right now for everyone in Rafa? I know that supposedly the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, are... They're not uh, a total uh, going uh, a totally berserk in in terms of an onslaught on uh, Rafa's sister at Rafa City at this point, um, but but it looks like it's imminent that there there will be a full on assault on the city uh, soon. Is that is that how you're reading the situation? That's how pretty much everyone I know on the ground there is reading it. I mean, they don't expect, they've seen enough of Netanyahu to know that when, you know, he says he's going to do something, he usually does follow through on it, um, much to everyone else's dismay. Um, But people on the ground are, are terrified, and I don't think there's a better word. It's terrifying. People who have lived there, who have homes there, who are, are sheltering, if you can say that, because there really is no safe place. Um, where are they going to go? And then you have the displaced, you know, 1.3 million people displaced in Rafa who have already, you know, left their homes one or more times. Some, some people, as many as seven times, have now been displaced from the places they're trying to find shelter and most of the Gaza Strip has been completely destroyed. I mean, they, you know, to tell the people of Rafa that they now have to evacuate Rafa because the Israeli army is coming in to invade, you know, what are they supposed to do? Go back home? Their homes are gone. 
their belongings are gone. The schools have been bombed. There are no universities left. The hospitals are out of commission. The hospitals have become some of the least safe places in the cities because this has been a full-scale war on hospitals. So, you know, this is... People, yes, they're terrified. They don't, you know, there is no safe place to go and to try to evacuate, you know, a million-plus people so that the Israeli army can come in and and fight these alleged Hamas battalions. It's, It's so far beyond insane that I have difficulty finding words for it. Mm-hmm. To do that to a, to a million-plus people, is it, it will cause suffering and a catastrophe the likes of which we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, they, uh, uh, go ahead, Barb. I don't know how many people know, but um, during the Super Bowl, there was a massacre in Rafa where they killed some something like up to 100 people that they know of, it was supposedly rescuing two hostages, uh, and they did it while no one was was watching, and that was in Rafa. Uh, and so, yes, there there has been plenty of destruction and bombing and death and killing in Rafa. It's just that it's standing more than other places. So when they talk about coming in there, yeah, the, this this is a huge issue, and I think that the only thing that will stop it would be if the U.S. government would tell them to stop it. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like the Biden administration is going to do that. And the other thing I think people should be watching for is there is a clear objective on the part of Israel, which is to push all or most of the population of Gaza out into Egypt. And the only thing right now that's probably keeping that from happening is that Egypt has refused but it's entirely possible that the situation would become such that they would have to do that. Mm-hmm. And then that also would be a tremendous catastrophe. Israel has openly called this as a completion of or a second Nakba, that is to ethnically cleanse uh, the Palestinians from this part of Palestine and so I think that's a severe danger. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of uh, arguments online about whether or not this qualifies as some sort of a genocidal act. Um, what is your thoughts on that? We'll start with you, Barb. Well, you can go and look up, you know, reports from various places. And, and if you, if anyone listened to or read the testimony at the International um, Court of Justice about is this a genocide? I think it's very documented and very clear that it is what some have called a textbook case. If this was happening anyplace else, it would clearly, without any question, be labeled a genocide. It's, it, we're, we're dealing once again with the Israel exception, the Palestine exception, the progressive except on Palestine exception. This is the only reason that there's any, any doubt about this at all. It meets all of the the criteria that have been laid down in international law for this, and that's pretty much what the ICJ said was either happening or about to happen, and they ordered them to stop it. Mm-hmm. And of course, Israel ignored that. So I don't think there's any question about that. Right. Um, recently, uh, um, there was a charge that uh, some members, some Palestinian members of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency had some connections to the people who carried out the October 7th um, uh, uh, 
terrorist attack, I guess we could call it, on um, on uh, Israel, uh, which kind of kicked off this latest round of um, of war, if you will, which for many people, this has just been ongoing for over 75 years or so. What about those charges? Now, uh, the, the UN uh, Relief and Works Agency in Palestine um, there's over uh, several thousand people that are that work within that agency. Supposedly, twelve members of that have been charged with having some connections to those who carried out the October seventh attacks, and that is being used now as um, a, a, a reason for the United States and other countries, and they're putting pressure on other countries to uh, stop giving money to the UN Relief and Workers Agency. Um, but it hasn't been determined. Some people are like, well, we don't know if this is exactly what happened. What are your thoughts on that, Jennifer? Um, it has been determined, actually. All of the evidence that the Israelis handed over, evidence, quote-unquote, to the West, uh, has been investigated, and there's not a shred of evidence that anyone was ever involved in the October 7th uh, massacres. I mean, it, it's it really beggars the imagination because all Israel has to do is, is scream out a charge like this and you get, you know, 18 countries basically stopping their funding to Underwood, which mm-hmm. is the largest basically humanitarian organization for Palestinians and certainly in the Gaza Strip. So all they had to do was level this charge to see this snowball effect of now the U.S. government trying to, well, they passed a bill yesterday uh, to defund uh, UNRWA. And I just want to say that this actually fits into the whole theme of genocide, because, you know, people might say, well, 28, 30,000 people doesn't make a genocide. Well, look at the intent. You know, the intention is to deny food, water, electricity, and fuel to the people of Gaza. What we have now are 700,000 cases by the World Health Organization of of registered infectious diseases, 400,000 people on the brink of starvation. Now, I mean, people have to look at this a little more closely. That is a slow-motion genocide. You know, just because they're not, you know, dropping in, in the thousands every every week, uh, like, the, like the literal death toll, doesn't mean that all of these people haven't been targeted and when you target the entire population of a region, yeah, that's genocide, folks. That's what it's called, and that's what it is, and that's what's happening before our eyes. So, yeah, to st- suddenly go after UNRWA is just another one of the one of the uh, spokes on the wheel, so to speak. You know, this is, is devastating. UNRWA stands to lose $65 million by the end of February alone. It's not going to be able to keep up the humanitarian aid that it does get in. And I should add just quickly that that aid is getting in extremely slowly. The last food truck to get into Gaza got in on February 4th. That's, Mm. you know, 11 days ago Mm. now. And people don't have enough for more than a meal a day. What is that meal? Lentils, rice, canned vegetables that are now getting dated. I mean, this is how people are living. Mm-hmm. This is worse than the first Nakba. In terms of intent, it's worse. It's more concentrated. You know, these we are killing people in a concentration camp. 
That's what this is. Mm-hmm. And UNRWA, of course, is the last remaining, or yeah, the, the last remaining. It's the biggest. Yes, the it's biggest. The largest. Uh, the aid infrastructure agency within in Gaza, Gaza is, the, yes. is the most uh, extensive. No, well, I mean, it's, it's, yes, go it's ahead, Mark. Just let me say it quickly. It's important to remember that Israel has been targeting UNRWA for, for decades, really. And the goal yeah. here is to eliminate UNRWA because UNRWA is not only in Gaza. And UNRWA is uh, responsible for millions of Palestinian refugees in Lebanon and in other places where they're in the camps, where they're registered mm-hmm. refugees. And this funding cut targets UNRWA as a whole. So in effect, you are punishing an enormous proportion of the Palestinian people for what you perceive as having been done in Gaza, whether whether or not they had the remotest connection to it. It's it's really a political objective to eliminate yet one more means by which the Palestinians support themselves and also keep keep alive the fact that there are these millions of refugees who basically under UN resolutions for for the last seventy five years have the right to return home to to Palestine, to the lands that were taken from them. And so this is a, an underlying strong objective of Israel is to, is to really completely the, get rid of I agree. UNRWA. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the main objectives, actually, because if you get rid of UNRWA, you can get rid of the status of millions of refugees. Suddenly, there are no longer refugees, and they don't need a right to return, and they don't need health services. I mean, we're talking about you know, 300,000 in Lebanon, 2.3 million in Jordan. You know, I mean, to cut this program, to get rid of this program is very, it's very political. And it's also, um, it's going to cause a terrible situation in mm-hmm. the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. Been sp- uh, speaking with Jennifer Lowenstein and uh, Barb Olson. Barb Olson is right, based here in Madison as a member of the Madison Rafa Sister City Project. Jennifer, uh, is in where are you? Arizona? I'm sorry, I keep on getting it wrong. <laughs> yes, and yes. she's a former lecturer, a Middle East lecturer here at the UW, and also at Penn um, at Penn State, and also one of the founding members of the Madison Rafa Sister City Project. I wish we could go on. There's so much to talk about, but many people feel helpless, and we're watching this slaughter go on, um, and. People want to know what they can do. So how can they get involved with the Madison Rafa Sister City Project? I know you guys just have, I mean, you guys have a weekly presence on the streets of Madison. Yesterday you guys had one on Monroe Street there. Um, what are some of the future things that are being planned for Madison Rafa Sister City, Barb? And how can people find you you all? Well, quickly before we go into that, okay. there's a resolution tonight before oh, the yes. county board calling for a ceasefire and, and um, getting in of humanitarian aid, among other things. It's, it's not the most perfect resolution. We weren't involved in, in writing it, but um, it is coming up, and people should, can find information at our website, or you can just go to the county board website because you can either attend that meeting, uh, which I believe starts at 7 at the city county building, or you can register to speak or in support of it online. So that. That this follows one that was passed in the Madison Common Council. So that's just one thing. As far as getting in touch with us, uh, our website, uh, madisonrafa.org, uh, has a lot of information. You can email us at rafasistercity at yahoo.com. 
we have a lot of things that we're planning right now where aside from different demonstrations and things of that nature mm-hmm. like there's a big one scheduled for sunday i believe in milwaukee that we're still waiting for the details on mm-hmm. we've launched a fundraising campaign and so yesterday a silent auction opened um we've got a lot of other things that we're doing to raise money this money is all going to the middle east children's alliance which has operations on the ground um yeah, so that's pretty much how people can get in touch with us all right. Um, well, I want to thank uh, both of you, Barb Olson and Jennifer Lowenstein. I, I, I know that we could go on and on with this, um, but I appreciate uh, the work that you guys are continuing to do. And uh, as always, this is something that we will uh, continue to follow this situation. Barb, thank you very much for being on. Thanks, Tony. And uh, Jennifer, thank you uh, again for waking up early. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. Okay.